Digify Africa Unflash Conversations. Welcome to another episode of the Digify Africa Unplugged Conversations. Um, today we are kicking off the Digital Corner segment. This is basically a space where we talk innovation for the continent, trying to tap into the conversations that are interested in transforming and redefining, um, you know, the African spaces and the African lived experiences. Now, um, today's conversation will be looking at creating and caring for feminist digital archives in Africa. Now, I think as everyone knows um, that contemporary feminist activism has been quite deeply engaged on social media and popular culture, you know, offering women opportunities and, and, and feminist allies to mobilize for women's rights. And, and it's brought about the introduction of hashtag activism, you know, hashtag me too, hashtag shouting back, you know, and these also have just played as a form of the feminist movement to address um, sexism, misogyny, rape culture, and um, sexual harass harassment um, in, public, in public spaces. And I think I think these conversations have really taken social media by storm um, in recent years. And I think also they've also called for us to rethink um, feminist digital activism, but beyond that, to have a wider conversation around archiving of the feminist thought via digital platforms since the world lives online. I am joined by Horata Chengeta, who is um, a researcher and a writer from Botswana. She's a student and teacher at the University of Witzbatisrand in Johannesburg. She enjoys writing, thinking and teaching about sexuality, politics, feminism, and justice. Khrata, how are you doing? And thank you for joining me in this conversation. I'm well, thank you for having me. Thanks. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna start off with um, a quote from the article um, that you recently wrote, titled "Creating and Caring for Feminist Digital Archives." And I think this conversation is inspired by that particular um, article. Uh, you say that the online world gives access to narratives that make us feel validated in our skin. We make homes out of the sites we frequent and develop kinships with people we will never meet, perhaps. And, 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 and that quote for me just reminded me that sometimes when we talk about, you know, the digital space and 4IR and all of these big conceptual terms around technology, we often forget that it's also become the space in itself has become a global village and a space that intersects a lot of ideas and a lot of thought, which has obviously called for us to sort of rethink how our lives are going to look like going forward if we're saying we are incorporating our day-to-day -day lives with, you know, the digital economy. Talk to me about what were you thinking about when you were writing this particular article? What are some of those thoughts that you were engaging? So when I had the idea to write the article, um, it was inspired by one of my favorite websites being taken down. And I hadn't really thought about some of the ideas I would later write about in the article before. But what happened with that loss was that I was just so shocked at how, how present it was and how much of a loss it actually was, given that this was you know, in my mind, only a website and only mm. a website that I really ever looked at maybe once a year, like for nostalgia's sake, because it had been a big part of like my early 20s. And in reflecting on that and speaking to my friends about that, 
I started to think about like, what are we, you know, investing in? We do have this investment in each other. And I don't mean each other as in the people we know physically, but on the online space, we have investments in the communities we end up building. Mm. And this Mm. actually happens a bit slowly over time because it's like you're tweeting one tweet at a time, you're posting one picture on Instagram. But, you know, with the constant engagement, it does become a relationship. And even when you're looking at, um, you know, your favorite website, even if you're not necessarily interacting with the stories there or the people who have written them themselves, you are relating to something and it has value. And that's what I was thinking about. I was thinking about the ways in which, you know, these everyday interactions um, add up to have a value that goes beyond, you know, oh, it's just the internet. We actually have relational investments and connections that I think are very important. And so I wanted to kind of honor what it meant to have been so engaged in that particular website, but also to have then lost it so unexpectedly. I want to talk about, you know, archiving our lived experiences and telling our stories in our voices, which I think becomes very quite important when we when we try to figure out um, the, the work around archiving. Um, and for me, I think um, having access is important. Um, and, and, and obviously, if it's access touches on inclusivity. I also want to talk, whilst um, we're thinking about inclusivity, I want to talk about, you know, languages. Because for me, when I think access these days, especially in the digital space, I think language. Um, we, I don't think we are seeing a lot of our languages on, 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 on the different platforms or different um, social media platforms or digital platforms that we come across. And I think I would like to see more of representation in terms of languages because we still have a significant number of communities who don't actually communicate in the so-called universal language that is English. Um, What are your views on this? I think it's a very important um, thing to think about because I mean so much of the internet that I engage with is in English Um, but in the sense that um, in the sense in thinking about you know what we need to make the space more accessible. I think it's also a matter of being the ones who create um, the platforms Mm -hmm. or using the platforms we have. I remember a couple of years ago, um, I was inspired by the efforts of um, two feminists I knew, uh, Bonto Pilane and Lorato Palesamodongo, and they'd written up a feminist dictionary in Setswana which is my home language. And, you know, that was published in a newspaper, but also published online. And the circulation of that, being able to access that also gave me inspiration to start writing in Setswana and, you know, taking it to different languages. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think it was just that, like, you know, building off the action that they did, like they took the first step. And then that enabled me to see that actually I can do this too. Like, we need to kind of build on each other's efforts to make yeah to create spaces that are more accessible um and also to to yeah give homage to our languages and express ourselves in the in the vernacular um and make that there's no reason the internet space shouldn't be in our own languages and mm, agree, definitely agree. And I think also, um, you know, capturing our lived experiences through our own languages, it gives it that 
just exceptional level of authenticity. And I, I think it, it just taps into that for me. Um, and, 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 and maybe we can, and, and just, to just move slightly away from you know us doing the work, um, I want to talk about maybe the the responsibility of you know the academic space and 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 a lot of institution obviously um, going back to now you know talking about archiving you know feminist thought and feminist scholarship. Obviously, a lot of us come across these um, discourses um, you know on on different campuses. And I think to yeah. build a digital archive is to fill gaps of knowledge. And in our context, um, this would obviously refer to gaps about African people and their experiences and how they've engaged with feminism and how does that and how has that looked like. But I think most of that would be housed in um, for arguments that can stand to be corrected in in academic institutions. Let's talk about the responsibility of academic institutions, you know, in coming to the fore as well to create accessible. Um, you know, platforms in people being able to engage, you know, feminist scholarship and feminist thought around, especially particularly African feminism. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing to think about. Um, I think if I'm not wrong, I think one of the academic institutions that have done like the work of trying to be accessible is Feminist Africa, uh, which is a journal that I think is um, based in Cape Town and they've done a lot of um, work over the years to um, document and take submissions from feminist academics like the, the archive stretches like really far back um, and I think in terms of the academy itself it's a really difficult um, I guess uh, beast to work with because you know we as uh, my, speaking for myself as like a emerging young ac- academic potentially um, yeah we are also having similar kinds of um, access issues. So while we're embedded in the academy, we're also trying to kind of navigate the space and figure out like, firstly, just how to survive within it, um, but also how to break down the the hierarchical barriers. And it's like, it's such a, I guess, broad topic that needs to be explored because a lot of the academy is about um, this idea that the people within it are experts and that, you know, something special comes out of the academic um, project. And I think there's so many, part of making it accessible would have to be also thinking through what the university means to us and Mm -hmm. why it is that, you know, it feels justified for academic institutions to be the only ones that, um, yeah. have access to this knowledge um, mm-hmm. which you know it it disadvantages students within it like you know when you don't have access to an article um, that you need for your research which happens often enough um, unless you're at like you know the most prestigious universities in the world you know that is a barrier for the person on the inside and yeah. I think then it becomes an issue of like as we're coming up in the academy and you know hoping to take up like research positions and lecturing positions how will we change it I think for me something that's interesting to think about is what would happen if all academics you know made their um, papers available um, for free which a lot of academics that I know do like a lot of them are on academia.edu and Mm. anything that is published that you'd normally have to um 
access through a journal, which you can only have through institutional access, you can just download it on the internet without um, having to pay or having the ac- having to access it through an institution. So I think there's like small ways like that where, you know, over time, if everybody did that, you know, you could see a shift. But there is also kind of, um, like I said, a need to rethink what it means to have institutional access and also kind of needing to, I guess, break away from the idea of what a university is supposed to be, um, because a lot of that, I think, involves gatekeeping and actually making the strides to be to take away its hierarchy and make the information accessible. Now, in the article, you mentioned some of the work that, um, you know, is being done by local women in building, um, you know, these sort of digital legacies of feminist thought and spaces for storytelling. Um, the likes of Dr. Atambile Masola, founder of the Asina Petulia Collective, um, which is a collective um, which collective group of women, um, you know, students, teachers and creatives whose aim is to shed light on the legacies of African women. And also Yolanda Danti, who's the executive director of Archive Amabaliwe too, a digital media organization that um, tackles gender-based violence through creative and archival work. Where do you think we are as a continent um, in terms of digital, in terms of the digital archiving project, particularly when we're looking at the feminist scholarship? I think it's a question that I'm only starting to investigate now because um my interest in archiving, I think, came after I or during the process of writing this article and maybe having a, a greater realization about what was at stake in every kind of individual website and project. Um, and I think that, like, in my uh, preliminary exploration of the issues um, around archiving, I think that maybe what's in order for us to understand where we are, I think it requires us to think, to really take account of what are our archives? Because, you know, we could say we already have several, um, you know, we have, every, I think Yolanda said in the interview that like the hashtag itself becomes an archive. So yes. we could already say that we have archives of every social movement that we've done through the internet. I think we're, it kind of comes to the issue of longevity with the archives is thinking through the platforms and who is hosting. Because having kind of this experience where um, the administrator of the website that I really loved just deleted it, I think that, you know, that kind of vulnerability exists for all of the things that we've done online. Um, You know, if the CEO of Twitter or Facebook decided to shut those websites down we as the people who've been using the platforms we don't have ownership of the platform and there's nothing we can do so it also I think it it's it opens me up to a conversation about what is the infrastructure that we need to make sure that we will have control over the, the archives that we're building because I think the work some of the work is there and also like building the archives of the contemporary will be ongoing work. But it, I think it will be about what platforms are we using and how sustainable are they? Because I think that is something I had also taken for granted that, you know, Twitter will always be there. Um, yeah. Any website that I've used, I, 
always assumed that, you know, it, it like nothing would happen to it. And now I'm kind of thinking through what platforms we need um, and yeah, thinking through yeah. it from that angle. Yeah. Um, and lastly, then I um, just want to ask quickly, uh, maybe walk us through, um, you know, some of the works that maybe you have come across that you think um, is very important for, you know, our audience to maybe go and check out and, um, you know, take note of just in terms of exploring, you know, the different spaces that are currently doing the archiving work. So, yeah, the first I would um, mention are, you know the one from the ones from the the article itself, which include um, archive Amabaluetu and Asina Kutula Collective's work, and then through publishing the article, I was also made aware of a quite um, in depth and broad archive that is hosted on the website of the African Women's Development Fund. Um, Jessica Horn actually made me aware of that. And they've also done a lot of archiving and their website um, is like incredible in terms of it being a resource. Um, and yeah, the other, um, the other works that are mentioned in the article, like um, um, I, wanted to, I wanted to also shout out Hala Africa, which has over time been um, hosting women's stories and queer people's stories about their sexuality. Um, alongside the the adventures of wait uh, the adventures are from African women's bedrooms, which um, I had also interviewed in the in the article. Yeah, so I think those are the places I would start. I would also look through um, Feminist Africa's website um, because if I'm not correct, if I'm correct, then I think all of their journal articles are online. And yeah, I think that's that's a good enough starting place. There's so much, there's a lot that I don't know about um, because I'm kind of new to thinking about the yeah, there's I think what's what made me um I guess comforted while I was writing this is that there were so many archives that existed and that exist, and it's just a matter of you know learning about them and you know also connecting to the people who uh, who have already started the work because for me this is a new area and I would be interested to connect with people um, and connect people who are interested in archiving and have developed archives that um, I wouldn't know about. Nice, nice. Thank you so much, Karaka. For those of uh, for those of um, our audience who at home who would like to get a hold of your article, where can they find it and where can they find you on social media if you don't mind plugging your social media for those who want to follow you? Okay, so my article is available on genderit.org. Um, and actually, that's also another great website that deals specifically with feminist and internet issues. Um, I find that they've been doing a lot of great work um, across the world. So mm -hmm. it won't be particularly focused on our region always, but there's a lot of work on these kinds of issues on their website. And um, you can find me through my blog, horatachengeta.wordpress.com and on LinkedIn. Okay. Thank you so much, Kharata, and hopefully you have a great afternoon further. Thanks for having me.